0: Dr. Bob Bell's service to this community spans so many different fields, not just as president of Tennessee Tech, but in the church community, his service after the 2020 tornado, his service to nonprofits in the area. And over the last several years, Dr. Bob Bell has served all of us by teaching us more about education here on Local Matters education at the high school level, middle schools, elementary schools, the college level, at the Tennessee College of Applied Technology, at our community colleges. He has conducted a weekly lecture helping us understand more about how the education system works and the role that all of us play. So it was with some sadness last month that Dr. Bell told us he wanted to step away from the microphone and maybe finally Spend a little more family time. We decided a perfect way to send him out was to sit down with him and talk about his career. When you are an administrator in a state that has a brand as powerful as the University of Tennessee, does that make it different than in other places?
1: Uh, Um. I think the challenge is there for mid-major universities and that's what the NCAA used to call uh the smaller schools in division 1 and that's that's what tech is. Um I think the challenge is there in every state. So if you go to Ohio, you better believe Ohio State University dominates the discussion up there. And not again just not just athletics mm-hmm. in every facet. Absolutely right. So at the in Florida, both Florida and Florida state uh, at the University of North Florida, you, you had that to contend with. So I think most states have that. Georgia Bulldogs dominate the the state of Georgia. So the flagship university plays that role. They are a statewide domain and you know uh, most of the legislators have been trained there. Uh you just look at it. They've got a system all across the state. It is a challenge for any other university in the state to get some identity. Um, not a difficult challenge. You're not trying to become the University of Tennessee. You know, that's not even who we benchmark. So it, it, it's hard to, um, hard to compete at some levels. You're certainly not going to make the headlines on the athletic program. But uh, you, can, you can compete in many, many other ways. Because not every student wants that, and not every parent wants that um s e c experience for their their child and I feel like we know that even more today with today's
0: students. there is a price to pay when you go to a twenty thousand thirty thousand population yes. university
1: oh there is you're in a lonely crowd unless something grabs you, so whether it's um University of Tennessee or Tennessee Tech, one of the things that I always tell parents and entering students is find an organization, find a group that you identify with. It can be the chess club or the robotics club, or it can be a music ensemble. Find something where you've got a small group that anchors you. The data is really clear. For 50 years, you'll have a better grade point average You've got a higher probability of graduating, and you're going to be happier on that campus. Dr. Bob Bell is our guest, Dr.
0: Bob Bell. When did the idea of becoming president
1: <clears throat> happen? <laughs> I never wanted to be a president, and that's uh that's um something i've is literally true at least figuratively true. But remember, I I said earlier, I told my department chairman early in my career, I wanted leadership experience. And so I loved those experiences. I especially loved being dean of the business school. Lewis Johnson was still alive, one of my heroes in life, and I could pick his brain. But um, I enjoyed a 10-year ride as, as dean of the business school. And I thought, this is it. This is what... I was born for, you know, this, this is where I want to end my career. So Gloria and I bought land up North of Allgood, And it, I thought at some point I'm going to retire from being a Dean. They're going to get tired of me at some point and I'm going to still teach, but I'm just going to have my farm and do my teaching and my writing. And, and, um, and then this presidency thing came up and several people went, Dr. Volpe announced his retirement, um, uh, came to me and talked to me a little bit, and I went to talk to my boss, Marvin Barker, who was provost of the university, and I said, are you going to apply? And I said, because if you are, I want to nominate you, or I at least want to endorse it, because I think you you ought to be president. I love you as a leader. And he laughed and he said, no, that time passed me and I'm not going to do it, but I think you should. And so Marv and I had an interesting thing. He was my boss for 10 years and then I became his boss. And we were a team for that entire period from the time he was boss till later when I became the president those were big shoes to fill they were indeed and different shoes cuz angelo and i are different we used to laugh about some of the you know i'm a i'm a business prof and and um focused on business angelo was not he he was a, a an arts and sciences type of guy and uh, boy we in in dean's council meetings occasionally uh, we'd see differences in in what we think thought the university ought to be doing. But he was so supportive when when I uh, uh, threw my hat in the ring. Uh, he really did help. And, and that shocked me a little bit. I knew he was a friend. I mean, we had good times together. But I didn't know whether or not he would think I'd be a good president. Um, but they were big shoes to fill. Angela was loved by everybody. He had a gift of knowing people's names that I've never seen in any other living person to the degree Angelo had it. I knew I couldn't do that. And I think Marvin was one of the first to tell me, he said, Bob, you're not Angelo. Don't try to be Angelo. You've got to be Bob. And he walked in literally on a Friday afternoon, which would have been June the 28th or so, July first, the first day of my presidency was the following Tuesday. Um, I think I think we did a fourth celebration somewhere in there, but anyway, uh, may have been the following Monday. But he walked in on Friday afternoon about three o'clock, and he laughed and he said, "Mr. Dean, I want to see you as Mr. President Monday morning." And he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> so he line. said, "You you've got a transition to make this weekend." But yeah, following Angelo was a treat in many ways uh, and also a challenge. He'd had tough budget years the last few, and I got hit by two befores with budgets uh, for most of the first six or seven years. Describe the job. Well, I don't think you can describe the job in many ways. You go to work every day knowing you don't know what's going to happen this day. You've got a schedule, and it's pretty detailed, and it often goes till 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Um, Gloria and I used to joke about how many banquets we would go to on a Friday night and who was going to eat dessert with which group and who was going to eat salad with which group. Uh, We sometimes would see five or six groups on on a Friday night. So the presidency is, and by the way, Gloria, the First Lady, is an unpaid volunteer, and it's a 40- or 50-hour-a-week a job, too. Uh, but the presidency involves everything from interacting with governors and and State Board of Regents members to, to um, folks at the White House or in Washington uh, to being an ambassador when you're overseas working on relationships. We've got great um, connections and uh, partnerships with universities in Germany because of the Volkswagen plant here in Tennessee with places in Japan that started when Nissan came in. Uh, So you're an ambassador and yet you don't ever want to not talk to those students who are walking your campus every day. Would that be easy to do? it'd be easy to lose them. Yeah. And I think on a um a flagship campus, a uh, a campus with thirty, forty thousand 40,000 students, the president is in Washington so much or in in Nashville or wherever that yeah, they're it's hard for them to relate to the students. I tried to teach every year, hopefully every semester, but at least once a year um that I was president and all the time I was dean and some folks didn't do that but it kept kept me connected to students and then I tried to walk across campus every day and just sit down and talk it's also easy to lose connection with faculty and you do not want to do that if you're a president that's the peril of many many presidents so I tried to keep an open door and and again the beauty of a place the size of tech is you can stay connected And you're going to connect to them at church or at Kroger's. So we see each other all the time, and that's one of the beauties of a town the size of Cookville.
0: The special edition of Local Matters continues as we visit with Dr. Bob Bell. He is stepping away as the host of Local Matters, where he's spent the last many years educating us about how academia works at all levels. we're visiting with dr bob bell you're managing your own city you know a city with a, with a police department and an it department and food right. services and athletics and arts and and all of that and yeah
1: can it be overwhelming it, at times? it can be at times uh but that's part of the fun of it too yes you've got uh got your own emergency response team you know where the rifles are in the cars and and uh, you know where the you know you're all the time doing emergency planning, so there it is a complex organization. There are 75 buildings on that campus, any one of which any day could catch on fire or have uh, somebody fall through a a piece of glass. There are 10,000 students and 2,000 full and part time faculty and staff that any one of which can give you a bad day. So you wake up every morning either dreading that or, and I I was blessed in in the sense I could look forward to that every day. I still dreaded a few meetings that I knew I was going to have. But for the most part, uh, that's part of the fun of it is you do have uh, a police department. You do have a medical center on the campus You've got faculty in engineering who don't understand what English profs do. Uh, you know, those those 400 professors don't agree with each other on a lot of things. So there's something every day that if you couldn't get excited about it, I there'd, there'd be something wrong with you. Was the budget the toughest part? Yes, without a doubt. Um, th- there is a subset, not of the budget, but of the tough part, and that was funerals. I didn't realize... How many students, how many faculty, how many retired faculty, how many Board of Regents members or legislators that were important to Tennessee Tech would die in a given year? So we attended funerals all over the state. Um, out of respect, uh, it was because they had done something. First week on the job, a football player died of a massive heart um, it was an attack that no one, he'd passed a physical that day. And uh, he, he ran a wind sprint and collapsed. A, 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 something burst in the heart. So i we underestimated that part of it. But the budget was the tough part. And that meant I spent a lot of time in Nashville. Uh, it also meant I spent a lot of time on the road raising money to compensate for things the state was not going to provide. If you look at that school of nursing, it had a $26 million building, but there's about $18 million of state money in it. And the rest, the really pretty parts of the building came from private donations and some from Senator Bill Frist or Senator Lamar Alexander, helping us get a, a bill focused on rural health care education, and that got us a laboratory in that building. So the president sometimes has to get out of the, the blinders of just saying, uh, the only money I've got is state money, and it, I'm going to have to suck it in. But we cut budgets, I think, eight of the 12 years I was there. And, and they were, you know, I, I sort of tried to get everybody to think along the lines of T-E-C-H, Technological leadership, that engineering school was a flagship. Enrollment growth, and we grew enrollment every year. A caring campus, because tech, that's what differentiates us from a lot of the big schools. Students can feel like their faculty cares, and high quality. We didn't ever want to lose that reputation. So we knew going into budget meetings, those are the things I was going to be looking for is those things. Well, that caring campus thing got a little hard because we had to downsize, and we had to pull back, and Tech is still doing some of that even today. We certainly got a much better budget picture in building construction now than we had while I was president. Yeah, does it sometimes when you walk
0: through campus and see all of those new buildings,
1: is it kind of like, wow? Yeah, it's, it's great. And, you know, we we planned a lot of that framework back um in the in the 2000s the state requires that you, that you build a 40 year building plan and then a 20 year plan and and those are sort of dreams and visions and then you start getting real inside the 10 year plan and so the environmental sciences building that that was dedicated here 2 years ago we we had that in planning stages in 2003 probably 2004 and it's great to see them finally come to be and to sort of chuckle and say, that's not the way we had it designed, or that's not what we thought it'd look like. Uh but President Oldham has really been blessed with having great budget money for capital improvement. And uh it's great to see it. I wish we'd have had more. We had uh we had five buildings that we built during during my time and then we acquired a sixth what is now Foundation Hall, the old Central High School. And, uh, and then we built the lease for the Oakley Farm that is now Tech Property. But uh, Millard Oakley and I drove that farm in, I think, 2006 and started the thinking about uh, that property. So we still had plenty to do, but it is so great to see everything coming out of the ground there on campus now.
0: We're running out of time, but there seems to be an agility in colleges and universities today that is new. Do you see that? Do you see that we're, we can't just stay the same and be in a little bit of a silo?
1: Yeah, I think so, and, and I think uh, it, luckily at Tech, the town and gown thing hasn't been nearly as pronounced as it has been on many campuses. Um, I think President Derryberry, going back to those years, encouraged that 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 blending of the town and the gown. And I certainly tried to reinforce that. But universities can't stay in a silo. And COVID and 9-11 and you just look... Uh, the last two decades have shown us that we've we must have the ability to pivot and we must have the ability to to move a little bit but keep those core values like they should be so i think that tech is still a great core value framework for tech but it means something different than it meant to Wallace Prescott back in the 80s you have that epiphany that,
0: okay, teaching is my, it just might be what I want to do. What was your next step?
1: Well, to do it at the college level, which is what I wanted to do, uh, you need a PhD. Uh, you don't. You could teach at community college without it, but um, my profs that were pulling me along were talking PhD all that time. And so th- that's the next thing is, okay, when I finish this master's later this year, I've got to get into a doctoral program somewhere. I had really good profs at the University of Florida. And so they opened doors at UCLA and at Illinois and at several places. But they, they sort of winked at me, too, and said, you haven't picked our brain and we haven't picked your brain as much as we could. If you want to stay here, we probably have something we can do together. And uh, they talked me into staying at Florida. Some people said, Bob, that's going to be the worst decision you ever made. Don't get all your degrees at one place. But I loved the University of Florida. I mean, Steve Spurrier was getting the Heisman while I was there. (laughs) Playboy named it America's number one party school. There was a lot going on outside the classroom. And I was having fun in the classroom. So I stayed at Florida, and it was the best decision I ever made. I wanted to stay in the state of Florida to teach, and I lucked out. I, uh, uh, I found a job at the University of North Florida, a brand-new university in Jacksonville, and um, that became my first job. I was a member of their charter faculty, so we started the university together. There were, there were no buildings when I first started. Uh, Joined the faculty
0: our conversation continues with dr bob bell who is stepping away as the host of local matters educating us every week about education i started to say that uh, students from 1970 to 2010 let's say wow they changed a lot but then i think back okay a student between 1920 and 1960 right so i guess they're always changing
1: they're always changing uh they it, you know they they have changed in a lot of ways the typical student in 1970 was 20 years old uh except in jacksonville where i taught the typical business student was 45 i was 26 at the time and so i was teaching you guys a lot older and they were mainly men in those days i was teaching a lot older class than I teach today and today's class is much more diverse much more technologically savvy than they were then um, but many of them are still 20 years old and others are, are not I taught um, at the University of North Florida again Jacksonville is a million people there's a lot of businesses there and great big Navy bases. So I had Navy chiefs in there that had 30 years of experience on ships, and they had a lot more experience than I did. Uh, you have to learn how to teach those folks, and that's still true today. You have to adapt to who that is in that class, and you have to understand where they're coming from. And, boy, the students today, they can, they can outclass me on so many technology things, and so i that's not where my leading edge is. There was a time I taught computer programming at University of Florida. I couldn't possibly do that today.
0: Has the technology impacted teaching from the standpoint of disconnecting from it and getting down to one-on-one and... And uh, in, in group dynamics and those sorts of things. Yes,
1: I think it has. And um, it, you know, we've we've been teaching what was called distance learning for, oh my gosh, for fifty years. But we've really gotten into it in the last ten, uh, and COVID really forced us more into it. But I I use a teaching technique we do in the MBA program at Tech called the case method and it puts students in a real live business case and you're looking for how they react to it and I always said I want to see the sweat on your brow and the whites of your eyes I want to be in your face challenging you boy is that hard to do on a computer when that student is in Memphis taking my class now or at Oak Ridge National Lab um, they are still good students and they've still got a lot of experience, but the dynamic you get on a, on a screen is so different and you have to learn to adapt to that. And I would be the first to admit, I'm not nearly as comfortable in that environment. I can do it. And I've done a lot of teaching that way, but my preference is literally the classroom where I can see them and talk to them and almost feel their attention.
0: There's been a lot of talk in the last several years that the technology will get to a point where we don't need teachers. Can you imagine that?
1: No, I can't imagine it. I I understand expert systems and artificial intelligence to a degree. And I, I understand that there are some things that are going to be better because of this. But I can't imagine not having a mentor and that's really what a teacher is to a a third grader they're they're a mentor and a guide as much as they are anything else and i don't think an expert system can do that how how so
0: a mentor and a guide
1: well they just uh, they, they spend more time with that child in a given week than many other people do now if you count sleeping hours mom and dad are there more but often Maybe one guardian is there, but that teacher is with that child eight hours a day, maybe ten hours, if you count after school. So they, they really are someone who shapes their values, shapes their, uh, their vision of society, shapes their, um, their, their vision of how to work in, a, in an organized culture. I'm wondering in
0: your years in education, and especially in your years at Tennessee Tech, is there a consistency to successful people, Bob, in that they can all reflect back on a teacher, an experience, a word that was said, uh,
1: a sit-down that was had? Probably there is. I I don't think it's the same for every person, every successful teacher, and I don't think it happens at the same point in their life. Uh, I can remember some of my teachers from Miss Hall in third grade, Mr. Calhoun in eighth grade, and, and they shaped me. There's no question they, they shaped me, uh, and I can remember that from, a, from faculty in my Ph.D. program who didn't so much tell me things as asked me questions and created things i need to go needed to go learn and um, so yeah i think i think teachers shape us in different ways and so there's not one particular style that i think every teacher has to use but i think they all find a way to shape their students
0: my sense is that prior to covid we were barreling toward more and more virtual learning more uh, connecting students in multiple cities and teaching in one place right and that since covid maybe there's been a bit of a pause saying this is not everything we thought it was
1: i i think that's true i think uh, covid taught us a number of things and i think for the college of education and i've never taught in a college of education i've lectured there i mean i've gone in as a guest but I'm not a a certified uh, educator from a college of education perspective. Um, but I think their content has changed forever. I think they will never go back to where they don't have part of a class focused on online learning of some type. Just because we're going to see other pandemics uh, like this one, There are some beauties to that. I mean, my grandchildren can get to the Library of Congress faster than they can get to their school library. Uh, And they've got such a wealth of learning resources that um, you and I didn't have when we were going to elementary or middle school. So teachers have to learn how to mediate that, how to learn with that. They also can bring in guest lecturers, um, I spoke to one of the virtual classes at um, uh, Putnam County High School here a few weeks ago, and I'd never met any of those students. I'd met the teacher one other time, and uh, Tasha asked me to come in and uh, electronically and talk to the students. We had a great time together. I'd have had even more fun if I was in person with them. So you've got to learn, as the teacher, she had to learn how to mediate that guy that might be some other place in Putnam County, or he or she might be in China and come into a, a guest lecture. It offers such wonderful new resources. We've got to learn how to manage in that environment. But again, going back to the mentorship, I think we hopefully we'll never get away from that mentoring role of that teacher. We're as
0: a society in a place where it feels as though we've realized the last dozen years, maybe we're a mistake, that maybe we shouldn't have emphasized that
1: everybody should go to college, that not everybody's meant to go to college. Absolutely right. Absolutely. And I I think, uh, again, my parents in the coming out of the Depression era, they thought you should go to college. And that, that was never a question in my family with our kids. But if you look at the reality of a typical family, uh, there are many folks who can make a wonderful living uh, working in the building trades, working in in uh, as an electrician or a mechanic. And they may later in life decide to be a supervisor or a, uh, own their own company, and decide then it's time to go get a little more education. But I, we have really tried. I tried all of the time to build a great relationship with the what are now called the TCATS, the technology centers in those days, and uh, Ralph Robbins at at Livingston and and Myra West. We're just great partners. And the community colleges. I'm a community college grad, and uh, we worked a lot to bring Ball State and Roan State and Motlow, uh, three of our best feeder schools, into that. Many students, they only need two years right now, and there are great jobs for them at the end of those two years. There are great jobs right out of high school if that's what they want to do. And then it's sort of like an interstate highway. You get on that ramp and you go a while and you may come off and do something else and then get back on that ramp again. And so that can be education. You can take a sidebar and spend a few years at Tennessee Tech or or at Vol State and then move right on further down the interstate. But
0: happiness and success don't necessarily mean
1: a four-year college. They do not need a four or a five or a seven-year college right. degree. That's absolutely right. Dr. Bob Bell, let's wrap it up this way. When you look back over all your experiences, is there
0: anything you would have changed?
1: Oh, sure. Every year there are things that I think you you look back on and um wish they had gone differently than than they did. Uh, there's a famous quote in business that says, if I wasn't making mistakes, I wasn't making decisions. So uh, you have hard choices to make and you make one and move on with that choice. And hopefully if you're going to be successful, the majority of them are good choices. That doesn't mean you didn't make bad ones. And, and I can name, um, Things that I wish I could go back. Willie Nelson had a great song about that, that, uh, you know, regrets. Yeah, got I've a got few. a few yeah. and, um, sure. I, I think, uh, in every case, but for the majority of the time, uh, I loved every year of it.
0: You have shown us through hosting this show, how much education matters. And we thank you for that. You have shown your love for this community over many, many years, and we can't thank you enough for that. But thanks for spending this time with us today. I'm honored, and it's been great to be with you, Larry.